0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Tyler Cobble, who's a boutique real estate. Um, he's the owner of a boutique real estate development firm and has been a developer since the age of 21. So um, we're going to learn a lot about his journey and how he, what he's learned from his from his early start in the industry and um, learn a little bit about the national market as well. So Tyler, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Ben, excited to be here, man. Thanks for having
0: me on. Awesome. So in typical real estate milestone fashion, would love to know what's your first milestone in real estate?
1: Yeah, my first milestone in real estate, uh, I guess, was was becoming the youngest commercial real estate broker in Nashville uh, to actually get my broker's license. We all call ourselves brokers, um, but a lot of us don't uh, actually get the managing broker's license. So I got that when I was 25.
0: Awesome. And so... I guess from the from age 21 till then, you know, what was
1: the idea like what was your introduction to real estate? How did you get into the space? Yeah, so I dropped out of college at twenty-what 20, I guess. Um after my freshman year of college, um so I guess a little bit earlier than 20, but I just kind of messed around in Knoxville on a tech startup for a little bit, then moved back to Nashville and got right into commercial real estate and uh, started off as the in-house leasing agent for a boutique development firm here in town working on their office retail and industrial portfolio. Uh, about three years into that, I put together my first development, which was 42 townhomes uh, that we built and sold down in Bellevue, which is about 15 minutes southwest in Nashville. And uh, left after four and a half years, started my own firm, The Cobble Group, which is a commercial real estate brokerage focused on leasing and sales for office retail and industrial properties. Uh, we do hospitality as well. Uh, we just typically don't, don't do much multifamily. Um, on the uh, about six months later, I started my commercial property management firm, which now has about 2.1 million square feet of uh, assets under management, and uh, that's office, retail, industrial, and multifamily. We will do multifamily there. And then I've got uh, I started my development company in um, October of 2020, um, and since then we've acquired about 50 million dollars worth of real estate. Uh, kind of spanning the portfolio as well, from office to retail, industrial, hospitality—you name it. We kind of uh, do a little bit of everything.
0: Awesome. So, you mind telling us about your first deal as a developer? What did you learn there? And uh, I guess if anything went wrong, well, I'd
1: love to hear what you learned in that experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was—it uh, was a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I was 24, uh, so at the time, I was still having a broker. Um, just to make some money, because you know the thing that you don't do in development is make any money until the deal is absolutely done. You know, we had to sell probably over half of the of the townhouses just to pay off the debt uh, before we started seeing any profits. It was pretty good. I mean, it was a five or six million dollar project. We sold out at a total value of about ten or eleven million. It took around eighteen to twenty four months, um, depending on uh, if you want to include the very early stages of the contract and I think the biggest thing that I learned is just how long it takes, you know, you're you're really the conductor of an orchestra, when you are a commercial real estate developer, and you've got to pull a lot of people together in order to pull these projects off. And there's a significant amount of work that goes into these projects before you even break ground on them. So that was that was probably my biggest lesson there was just learning how everything kind of ran and went together.
0: Awesome. That's interesting. Starting with a 42 unit townhouse from the ground up. That's pretty. Seems pretty ambitious, but it sounds like you did pretty well, and that's interesting. Um, but now it seems like you've done some very different things. I read on your website that you had um a peerless mill in Roswell, Georgia, or Roswell, Georgia. That's a. It was a. I guess you want you to tell me about it, but um, adaptive reuse of like a old mill of some sort. Like that sounds pretty
1: pretty interesting. Unique. Yeah, that's right. We 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 do very different projects here uh, at our development firm, which um, you know is 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 unique in the world. A lot of people will stick to you know Class C value add multifamily, right? And that's all they do. They'll do that all over the country, but that's what they do. Whereas we invest in neighborhoods, so we go into places that we like um, where we can see the fundamentals are growing, uh, that tells a good story. And so for the longest time, it was East Nashville and Madison, which is just on the other side of East Nashville, Uh, and then we. Uh, started looking at Chattanooga uh, as an expansion market. I was looking at Huntsville, Knoxville, and Louisville as well. And Chattanooga just happened to be the the deal that hit. So we got a, a tower down there. And then I was asking around, you know, hey, uh, are there any other projects that we should be looking at? And the Peerless Mill came up. And it's an historic wool mill. Uh, at one point, it was the largest wool factory in North America um, and possibly the world. And they employed over 3,000 people at the peak uh, in 1960. Uh, it's 29 buildings, 1.5 million square feet, and uh, sits on 32 acres. So we're, we're essentially designing a self contained city there. That's nuts. <laughs> How do you, okay, well, that's,
0: that's even more than I thought. I didn't realize it was that big. How do you design a city? I just, frankly,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it, we're, we're really excited to be working on a project like that. Cause I didn't think that I'd be get to, uh, I would have the opportunity to work on a project like that in my lifetime, let alone this early, but it's uh, it's, it's step-by-step, step. you know, it's, it's eating the elephant one bite at a time because we can't just go in and drop a hundred million dollars into it to, to fix the property up. You know, some of these buildings are over a hundred years old and uh, they need some work. They need new roofs. They need to be, you know, have new MEP brought in. So we're just going building by building. What's the easiest thing for us to take down right now, and we're going to finish some of those out, lease them up, refinance, and move on to the next building. But our phase one is really going to be all industrial users, so less of an intensive of a build out, less capital on the front end. That will help us create more cash flow. You know, it's less than ten percent occupied right now, and it's it is cash flowing. We just we bought it at a really good price, and uh, once we get those users in, then we'll be able to start focusing more on the retail, restaurant, brewery type of users. And uh, the goal there is to just increase the property value by so much uh, with every lease that we can refinance and use that debt to build out the next space.
0: And so, yeah, that, the final realization will just be a place for people to go where people also be living there.
1: That's right. So it's, uh, it'll be creative office, retail restaurants, a brewery. We've got a distillery that we're talking to right now too, a uh, grocery store. Uh, and, and we are looking at some lofts um, as well as a, a hotel.
0: Mm, wow that's really awesome yeah you don't feel uh drinking and driving back from the brewery right that's right that's right so <laughs> grab, I, a, grab yeah. a room yeah that's pretty cool i like that um I, i've wanted to visit it I, i've been wanting to visit jack daniels which i know is not too far down the road It was a little, a little far
1: no no yeah. it's 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 a fun uh fun tour for sure i love to go to was... the story there
0: Absolutely. So yeah, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm very excited to see where that goes um, going forward. Um, but going back to Nashville, I guess, can you give me the, uh, you know, I guess, I'm sure you, you love Nashville a lot. Uh, could you give me the story of Nashville as a whole? And then I'm also really curious. Like I know I've heard a lot about East Nashville. It sounds like you may have moved away from East, East Nashville a little bit, but I'd love to hear like the big story and then a little bit more about the neighborhood
1: stories. Yeah, Nashville's got great fundamentals. You know, it's well positioned within the country to to service, you know, over 80% of the nation's population within a day's drive. So it's a, a great logistics hub that also makes it a very good business hub because uh, within a two hour flight, you can reach a pretty significant portion of the country. And, uh, you know, from, from Texas to New York and Florida and, you know, Chicago is only an hour away. So it's, it's very advantageous for a lot of groups in that respect. It's got a great economy. Uh, weathers economic downturns very well because we have a diverse business base here. You know, Nashville is known for music, but that's actually one of the smaller pieces of our economy here. Uh, healthcare is the biggest, uh, followed by tech, um, as well as music. You've got a, a burgeoning entrepreneurial contra- uh, uh, you know, community here, uh, which is pretty, pretty fun to see. We've got the Entrepreneur Center and a few other groups that really uh, help foster that within the city. And so uh, that's what's leading to the, the the very strong growth fundamentals that we have. I chose East Nashville when I left and started my own firm because to me, it was on, uh, well, to everybody, it was quote unquote on the wrong side of the river because uh, it was just across the river from downtown, but it was the cool part of town. You know, it had all the cool bars, restaurants, a lot of really interesting businesses, and there weren't any groups that were focusing on that. I knew that starting a, a commercial real estate brokerage at 25, I'm not going to be able to compete with the CBREs of the world. So... I went and found a neighborhood that they couldn't compete with me in because uh, they just didn't have a strong presence there and the buildings aren't nearly big enough for them to really justify working on. You know, we've got a lot of of 1500 to 3000 square foot buildings here, but you do have your occasional, you know, 30,000 square foot. And so we just decided to plant our flag here become the commercial real estate brokerage on this side of town and that's worked out really well for us because we've we've heavily invested uh, within this community. Um, and uh, have now expanded that out to Madison, which is just beyond East Nashville. So uh, it helps because we get to know everybody. We know all the tenants that are looking in the market, and we can actually strategically buy buildings to place tenants that we're representing uh, into those buildings, uh, which I have done before, which is great for financing. Uh, But we can also find really strong opportunities off market. You know, like Madison Station, that's a, a property that we acquired in 2021, it's uh, it's also on 32 acres, just like Peerless, but it's got a 330,000 square foot shopping center on it right now that we're currently master planning for about 1.5 million square feet of, of mostly apartments, um, but it'll also have office and some retail as well.
0: Great. So the story is coming together. We have, a. you can go into a neighborhood and you can contribute to it. You can build, develop, make it better, attracting more people that you can then help lease properties to. And then if someone wants to buy it, you could also manage their property. So I know you got these three or, or more components of your business. I want to hear a little bit more. How does your development um, brokerage and property management businesses uh, work together? And how's that a competitive advantage for you?
1: That's right. I mean, you could say starting three different companies would be very difficult to run, but the the beneficial thing is that we're very vertically integrated. So they all work together in in many different aspects. So You know, the brokerage finds the deals and they'll often get listings. And if we build that relationship with the landlord, we could probably get the property management. If property management gets on board and maintains a good relationship with them, we'll probably get the leasing assignments again when that comes back up. If, uh, you know, if there are any build outs or anything like that that needs to happen, especially something that's more intense, you know, my project management team at the development firm can come in and, and work with them on that. Uh, Of course, the brokerage goes out and finds properties for us to buy and develop ourselves. So, you know, the Cobble Group will find it. Hamilton will develop it. Parasol is going to manage it. And uh, it just helps us grow really well um, all together. So I don't really have to worry too much about having different business development plans. Uh, You know, one single plan kind of helps everybody grow.
0: Yeah, it's it's really um, interesting. I'm curious, how do you uh, market this to... um potential clients or investors in terms of like do people are people worried that you're also competing with them like i'm kind of curious just how you approach the business um or how do you approach the people who are external to your business that are going to be working with you in some regard
1: yeah not necessarily i mean uh, you know we we are very intentional about not stealing people's clients because we don't have to we've got plenty of business so you know if a commercial agent refers our property management company to run uh, a property for them they're going to always get that commercial listing until they say they don't want it or the landlord says he wants to start exploring other options. And, and we probably won't be the only hat that we throw in that ring because we're we're coming at it from a property management perspective. So we have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that that landlord gets the best team um, for for the job, you know, which I hope is us. Uh, but I'm also very clear to, to our clients that like, hey, this may not be a fit for us. So let's let's go talk to some other groups and, and see who you're comfortable with. So no, we, we, we get a lot of referrals, um, from people. I mean, you know, I I tell brokers all the time, if you bring us a property, I'm going to protect you on the commissions. So, you know, we, we, we operate in silos, uh, together. It's kind of how I like to say it. I mean, just because, you know, the development firm is related to a a commercial real estate brokerage doesn't mean that that brokerage is going to represent us on every single transaction. So we're, we're very, um, just intentional about how we maintain those relationships with the clients. But as far as the, the business pitch goes, it's you know, Hey, we're, we're a full service real estate shop. And we can actually say that, you know, a lot of brokerages will say that, but they're not actually a full service real estate shop. So mm-hmm. for us, you know, if you want to get your space leased, we can do it. If you want to sell your building, we can do it. If you want to build out the space, we can do it. If you need it managed, we can do it. And, and, and everything in between. So it's, it really is a, uh, you know, look at us as your real estate department. We just yeah. happen to be outsourced.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And yeah, most people, when they say full service, they don't, include the development side, which is, or like the owner principal side, which I think that makes
1: sense for like it actually being full service. So that's pretty cool. Um, that's right. And, and, that, we, and we understand how it, how it, what it's like to be a real estate investor, right? So I mean, we bring that to the table. It's, you know, we're not just an LP in somebody else's deal. Like I'm actively pulling these projects together myself, developing them myself. I go through the permitting process regularly. So we actually understand how all of that works instead of just seeing it from the sidelines.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, I guess to get a little more micro. Like, what are like the key things that are driving people to um the neighborhoods that you like specifically, like East Nashville and um and I guess Madison. And um, I'm also curious if this works to the question: What's going on with the uh football stadium?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know what's driving people to East Nashville and Madison? Uh, for East Nashville, it used to be the affordability and the character. It's not really as affordable anymore because it became too popular. But you've got some of the most unique. Uh, bars and restaurants in the city. Uh, it's very walkable. They're very safe neighborhoods. So, and and your, your proximity to downtown is really strong, right? So that's always been a driving factor to East Nashville. You know, Madison is the next suburb out um, or the next, you know, little neighborhood. Um, it's really technically a, a town, but, um, and uh, it still has the affordable factor going for it. It also has very strong interstate connectivity. So it's actually uh only like you know 12 to 15 minutes from downtown depending on where you are which is closer than green hills which is one of the most popular neighborhoods in nashville to downtown so you know if you look at the geographic location of where it is there's no way that it can't take off based on everything that else that is in that same drive time distance um so yeah, and, and Madison's starting to get a lot of the other cool businesses that are, you know, can, maybe can no longer afford East Nashville, or maybe they're looking for a second location with a similar demographic and Madison has that. So that's causing the expansion in Madison.
0: Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty cool. I'm curious, um, who are your investors in, or do you have investors in your development business? I'm curious how,
1: yeah, like where? guess where is the um, relationships on that side of your business? Sure. Yeah. So we do raise LP capital for our projects uh, through what's called a 506B syndication. It's friends and family. You have to be on our list. We have to know you. We have to have a pre-existing relationship with you in order for you to get in. We've done a 506C before, which is basically an accredited investor offering. We didn't really like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we I've got probably 75 to 100 active investors in our deals right now, but uh, I've got probably close to somewhere between three and 400 on our list. So- uh, not everybody comes into every project. I have some investors that will invest in everything that we do. And I have some that, you know, go big on it on one thing. And then I have some that, you know, hey, I just want to test the waters and see what it's like investing with you. So it's kind of all over the board, just depending on, um, on the deal, you know, because we do a wide variety of deals, right? So it's not like my investor base is all multifamily. Um, our investor base is going to be very broad. they just interested in seeing cool projects. Because, you know, in East Nashville, we did a six bay car wash that we converted into five micro restaurants and a bar. That's very different from the 48 room hotel that we're doing down the street, which is very different from Madison Station, which is a 32 acre master plan development. So, uh, you know, everybody has their their interests and um, we try and, and cater to a little bit of everything. But first and foremost for us, it's what's going to be fun to work on.
0: Awesome, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Definitely good for motivation, and also, um, I think might have to say something to the character of Nashville in general. So, I guess would you would you agree with that? Is um, I guess are your deals like characteristic of Nashville? And I guess um, to in, in including that question, like, what do you love about Nashville? In, in terms of um, you know, what keeps you what's kept you there for so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, Nashville's just a great city. It's it's so much fun. There's always something to go do, something new to try. And I think that it's uh, it's one of those cities that's done a, a pretty decent job at maintaining the the character within neighborhoods. You know, some of them are starting to lose that. I mean, I grew up in the Green Hills area. Green Hills has kind of lost its character. Um, you know, the Gulch used to be really cool. It's kind of lost its character. But there are some neighborhoods that have gotten very intentional about making sure that, you know, we stay pro small business um, and and support the businesses that have been there for a while that kind of make the neighborhood what it is. So. You know, to me, uh, that's fun. Um, and again, we we love. You know, we live here. We love working within our neighborhoods that so we're actively walking around every day. So that makes uh, that makes every project that much more rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess, what's your? Uh, I guess, in terms of the um, business, the central business district area, I just I just remember like the, seeing the most amazing thing ever on LinkedIn. It was a picture of Nashville. Like the skyline, and then it was a picture of the skyline with the addition of proposed properties and the additions of under contract properties. It was just like crazy how much development still is is going on. I'm curious. Do you think that um, there's any any asset class that's getting oversupplied? Do you think that this amount of development is warranted? I'm curious, just in terms of the the makeup going forward. What's your like idea of um you know this growth and how much can it can it continue and like at this at this pace?
1: Yeah, I think it absolutely can. I mean, Urban Land Institute named Nashville the number one city in the country to watch for the second year in a row, which is pretty significant. You know, the only other city I think that's ever done that was San Francisco. I and mean, that was back in like 2014, 2015. We all know that that city got absolutely destroyed by the pandemic. But um, yeah, I, th- I think the growth is is totally warranted. You know, you've got a lot of people that have realized that uh, they don't want to be in these other cities anymore. They want to move to the southeast. And they want to be able to work remotely, and 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 because of that, they want to be in cooler areas. You know, maybe it's more affordable. Nashville's far more affordable than most other cities, uh, especially in and its you know size range. Um, it's it's uh, a blue city in a red state. So you get a lot of the benefits of being in a blue city with a lot of the benefits of being in a red state. Right? You have no state income tax, which is huge for a lot of people. So, yeah, I think you know. And look, Oracle just announced uh, last year. Uh, an 8,500 job campus on 65 acres just outside of downtown. So which was the biggest jobs announcement in Tennessee history. So uh, Nashville's got a lot of people that are going to be moving to it over the next five to 10 years. You know, we, we've been getting 80 to 100 a day for the last 10. And, uh, you know, that kind of growth it warrants uh, quite a bit of construction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, you said Nashville might be somewhat affordable for uh, housing, but uh, Broadway is not the most affordable place to go and, um, <laughs> hang out. I'm curious though. What's your favorite place on Broadway? You, you get down there.
1: I would say my favorite place on Broadway is Bridgestone arena for the Preds games. I try and avoid Broadway like the plague. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate it for what it is. I mean, it's a great thing for Nashville and, you know, over like over 50% of our, uh, city sales tax is made in the Broadway area. Um, but you know uh, really since like 2013 2014 it has not been a, a local destination spot it's been mostly tourism and it's just a it's a different vibe but i i like it uh it's it's good tourism for the city
0: yeah yeah i think it similarly bourbon street in new orleans i don't get down there very often as a new orleanian but um or someone who's living here but um it definitely it's cool that people like to come and see the city and just having a lot of character there. But, um, I did, I did enjoy Broadway just because the music was so different than the new Orleans music. And, um, right. It's great to, I loved uh kid rock that, that his place was pretty sweet.
1: Yeah. It's fun to go get to experience that, you know, it's, it's something after you've been in Nashville for a while, it just becomes like, Hey, that's something that's here, but you know, all these people that are from other cities, they don't have anything like that. And so it's, it's a really unique destination for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, I'm also curious, just in terms of um going back to the to the business side, um, that you know what do you I guess we've talked about your vertical integration, but I'd say, do you have any um competitive advantage? like what's the thing that you think gives you the edge over
1: everyone else in the um in the area? yeah, the vertical integration is huge. I think that that helps us bring a lot of knowledge to the table that most other groups can't. The fact that we focus on East National and Madison, we probably know those neighborhoods better better than anybody else. So, you know, that's a huge competitive advantage. Uh, social media and online presence is better than anybody else in the city by far, uh, which which drives a pretty significant amount of business for us. And we've been very intentional about that, you know, whether it's from our blog to the YouTube channel, the podcast, my Instagram, um, you know, all of that stuff really just becomes a great funnel. You know, we've got a course out now. Uh, we've, we've got... Um, all sorts of different things, you know, I go on other podcasts, right? So all of that just builds this sales funnel uh, to bring us, you know, investors to bring us clients and, and helps, you know, kind of establish us as an authority in the market. So I think that that's, that's a pretty good p- competitive advantage there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I love your YouTube channel Um, to plug it. It's uh, a Tyler Cabell. Yeah. But it's uh, definitely got a lot of good stuff. I'm curious, what's some advice you have for growing your YouTube channel, and growing a a podcast uh, for someone who's
1: thinking about um, the space or someone who's in it? Yeah, don't be afraid to share it to your other channels. You know, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever that is. I mean, I, I did that a ton when I was first starting my YouTube channel. Um, and then just post consistently. You know, once a week is what I started off doing. Then we got to two to three times a week. Uh, now we're we're back to one to two times a week. Uh, just because it, it it becomes a lot, but you know, we I, I always aim to just provide super high quality content that was easy to understand. You know, there wasn't very much of that out there on YouTube in the commercial real estate space. I think that um, you know I studied all of the other people that were posting videos on on this industry, and saw that there was a huge gap for just video quality. You know, we've got motion graphics. We've got really good pictures uh, in all of our stuff. And then, you know, the content is very easily um, consumed, right? I mean, we've got videos that are three to five minutes long. I've got videos that are an hour and a half long. It just depends on exactly what you're looking for. Um, So, yeah, I think just be consistent about it.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And um, where do you think the next opportunity in Nashville is in terms of neighborhoods and um, just things that are changing?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Murfreesboro Pike and Clarksville Pike, uh, neither of those have really been developed all that much, but they're they're great, uh, you know, future stops because the rest of Nashville has been developed so much that there's only so much more space that you can start going down before you have to start tearing down old buildings and building taller. And the city is going to follow the path of least resistance for the foreseeable future, right? We've got tons of open space. I mean, Nashville is one of the largest cities in terms of land mass in the United States, if not the. Jacksonville, Florida, might be the number one, uh, but we're pretty up there. And so, you know, again, tons of land space, and uh, I think there's going to be a focus on the corridors because we don't have mass transit here, which is a travesty. But uh, because of that, it's going to be more important to be in these little nodes that. People can easily access from various neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Well, um, appreciate you sharing all this about Nashville. I'm curious, you ready for the ready for the lightning round? Let's dive in.
1: Sweet. So, if you could have any superpower, what would that be? Oh, superpower, man! I probably want to be able to stop time, just like go around and look at more real estate, and figure out what we really need to buy.
0: Yeah, similar to mine, right? I have a uh, super speed, so there you go. That'll help um so what is your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most
1: uh the book that i probably recommend the most is walkable cities by jeff speck it's a phenomenal book Uh, it talks about urban development and design and how cities should be you know it kind of changed my perspective on how uh, sidewalks bike lanes and things like that really make an area better
0: I don't know if you if you have ever um, been or seen anything about Copenhagen, but Copenhagen, I studied there abroad last year. They have a big sidewalk. Then they have a one step down a bike like road and then step down into the regular road. But like every single road has a bike road. And then every single sidewalk has like a, like a divider. It's, it's like the most beautifully organized city, not to mention the subway is just so fast. And so like, clean but yeah i think if you're curious about that kind of thing i'd definitely check out I look, just look at copenhagen and whatever way you yeah can.
1: i'll have to check that out vancouver is another one that's a, a little more accessible uh just because it's closer uh that has phenomenal urban design and i love what they've done with their 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 um their view shed they've been very intentional because you know they got the mountains there they've been very intentional about designing their towers uh and it's in their zoning and codes to where you cannot block specific view sheds and mm. so you know no matter where you are in the city you always get a great view of nature which i think is really interesting
0: that's really really interesting and i i think about um denver where you can always see the mountains in the background yep. from, or from a exactly lot of angles. It.
1: it's amazing it matters man you know people like that i mean you think about what what a lot of people don't like about new york city it's you feel like you're in a giant concrete jungle where everywhere you turn it's just another building and, uh, you know, th- there's pros and cons to that, right? But I, I, I for one, like to see nature all the time. I'm in Nashville, right? I mean, 10 minutes away, you've got farmland. So I'm used to that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I would like to say that New York has Central Park, which you know, it's not like nature when you think about it, but it's amazing to just walk straight out of the city right into this, like, oh, yeah. you know, this big park. And there's so many different beautiful parks that I, I, I was in New York for three months this summer. I was scared that I would just be like, you know, crammed in with all these buildings, but just the parks are offered like the perfect escape. So um that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but definitely awesome. Yeah. I definitely like the, the mountains in the background a lot too. So, <laughs> so um what motivates you to continue every day?
1: I just love what I do. I mean, that makes it very easy. You know, it's, it's fun getting to do this. It's fun getting to help shape neighborhoods and, and help them maintain their character or add on to that character. And so for us, it's, it's very easy to wake up and get back to it.
0: Awesome. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to
1: follow in your footsteps? Get out there and work your tail off. I mean, that's, that's really all that it takes, you know, Um, get out there and and go find somebody that's doing what you want to do, work for them for free for as long as you can afford to and show them that you're valuable enough to get paid. You know, that's pretty much what I did. I started off as a commercial real estate broker. I didn't have a salary and I didn't make any money for probably six months. I was waiting tables on the side. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people just don't want to do nowadays because they feel like, you know, just because you've got a college degree, you you somehow should earn seventy or $80,000 a year. And that's just unfortunately not how the real world works. You've got to go out and learn the skills that are going to help provide value to whatever company you want to go work at. And so, you know, I looked at my first four and a half years with another development firm uh, essentially as a whole internship or an apprenticeship, if you will, where it's like, okay, I mean – you know, I, I could probably get better money somewhere else, but I am the the knowledge that I'm gaining by just being in this room and seeing how a project gets developed was invaluable. I mean, that's how I put my first development deal together. I sat in on every development meeting a week for two or three years in a row before I put my first deal together because I learned by sitting in those meetings, okay, this is how you do it. So, you know, that's that's given me the knowledge to to go out and do my own thing.
0: Yeah, it's, that's really interesting. That's very helpful. So since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. What's one question you'd have for me? Uh, how do you like doing the podcast? How's it going? Yeah, it's going incredibly well. I mean, I just love the podcast because it's like, I get to meet someone like you and ask questions that I'm interested in. I know anyone or everyone who listens is also interested in the things that I'm interested in. So I'm able to learn from you and gain a lot of Knowledge and insight, and also share that with other people, you know. And I get your a game because you know the world's listening, which is helpful for me, but also helpful for everyone who's listening. Um, so it feels really good whenever I get a five star review on Apple Podcast or whenever I get uh someone saying, "Oh, like I saw your post, like that was great, like I learned this," or you know, I love this. It's like if I get one of those every once in a while, it makes it all worth it, and it's just it's it's pretty yeah. pretty amazing. And uh, I mean, l- talking to someone like you every single week for, I guess it's been over a year now, like I've learned an incredible amount.
1: Yeah. Don't ever lose that. I think that it's, it's a great way of approaching the podcast and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I go into it and I'm genuinely asking questions that I want to know the answer to still, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that kind of get um, egos once they get further into this business, they feel like they know everything, but uh, I genuinely enjoy learning and I have no problem saying like, Hey, tell me how that works. Uh, Cause it's, it's just fun. So. I think that's
0: great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely. If I if I wasn't, I'm doing it to learn. But I guess that's just a natural guide for getting good questions and getting uh good answers. I always appreciate when people you know answer the question and you're not trying to you know work around it to have some sort of message. You're trying to say no, like they're just trying to answer the question and you know teach and and learn from connecting. And it's uh so yeah, I always uh, I love that especially. And um I guess big picture, I can't wait for it to be like uh, I guess not not that I can't wait, but I imagine in 30 years from now, some kid is going to see my name somewhere, or see me somewhere, like, "Wow, that guy is special. That guy has done the most amazing things." Like, I can't do it. Like, how did he do it? And I want them to go back to my first episode and see me saying, "Um, oh, uh," but you know, fumbling over my words, not really, just just being curious and asking questions and going for it. And that you know, be an inspiration that you know everyone is capable of doing what they want to do. You just gotta
1: put the time and yeah. the effort in. I oh, think yeah, it's great, man. Document the journey
0: course. So I guess um, anything you want to share, any closing remarks, um, would you like to tell people where they could find you and learn more about
1: what you got going on? But love to love to hear that. Sure. Yeah. If you want to connect with me, Instagram is the best way at commercial in Nashville with underscores in between the words. Um, if you want to learn more about commercial real estate, check out the YouTube channel. It's Tyler Cobble. And if you really want to learn how to buy and invest in your first deal, I've got a course out. Just go to tylercobble.com slash course. Um, it's a pretty intense course that, that you know, I mean, I've worked on it for about a year. So you should be able to buy your first property uh, and feel comfortable about it after going through that.
0: Awesome. Well, I recommend everyone check out the resources. And um, Tyler, I appreciate you coming to the show. It's been a pleasure and appreciate all you've shared. And uh, Tyler and everyone, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support,
1: and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.